Hey, it's Candia Raquel, founder of Centro de Poder. Welcome to the Essential Session podcast, the place to be to explore your sensations of pleasure and be free to expressing them. Today we have a very special guest. This is Theo Klinkard. He's a dance artist based in London, and I am so happy to have you here, Theo. Thank you very much for inviting me. What a pleasure. Yeah, such a pleasure. So the other day I saw Theo wearing a wonderful pair of horns looking over his left shoulder. Well, I saw him in a picture. So tell us, what were you looking at over your right ah, this left shoulder? <laughs> I was looking back at the person looking at me. I was returning the gaze. It was um, the first piece I ever made, a solo called Hellbent. Hellbent. And it was a little bit, uh, yeah, this piece was um, in response to these kind of Christian right-wing pastors, religious pastors, saying that to be queer was to be the devil um, and that we should, you know, banish our children if they're gay. And so, so this piece was a little bit me playing the role that they gave me. So I become the devil and I have a shirt and no pants. And it's basically a bit like a lap dance <laughs> for an audience member. So playing up to this kind of evil role that I was given. So that explains the horns <laughs> and this, um, yeah, it was like 2011. It's quite a long time ago now. Love it because it, it made an everlasting impression imprint at least to me that I am now in, in the future in regards to that moment and yeah it had an imprint of it and interesting you say that you were looking at the person that you were and then you be, become like who you are but with with that custom of horns that were like attributed from from that vision so How do you get to express, like, so freely, like, having, like, this, like, this imposition or this judgment or restriction? How do you make that, like, like shift in yourself to come forth and express what, who you are completely free from inhibition? So we can do the same, learn from you. Oh, wow. Okay. So I teach a lot. So I perform and I choreograph, but a lot of the time I'm teaching and it might be professional dancers or young children or older people, people who've danced before, people who've never danced. So I teach a real range of people and I draw upon different experiences of my own body, my own dancing and making. And also, like, read the room, we say, like, so kind of perceive what information is in the room and how I might access or invite these people to join me on a journey. And something I've become really interested in, actually, from having, because I trained classically, like, from 11, like, full-time training till 18. Um, I was in full, mostly ballet training. And I feel like I've spent the rest of my life trying to understand what's good about that 
and uh, explode what is like a cage, like what stops me. And I've developed lots of different ways that I ask my body and other people's bodies in my classes to be in response. So how can we shift away from the construct of the image of yourself for the world um, and start to put the body into an experiment, put the body into a place of navigation or response or listening so that uh, rather than the camera be on your body, that you are the camera, that you own the viewpoint. And um, I often find that this kind of different, like almost like tripping up, like, destabilizing, uh, making it impossible to do something fully or properly in the traditional sense. Um, So yeah, we become experimenters. As movers, we are navigating and experiencing and experimenting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Freshly, freshly becoming you the, the perspective that is that lays and projects and also creates and expresses it it means having ownership and agency on your position in regards to yourself and your position in respect to the world and how this positioning reorganizes the space and the perspective and also in a way the status quo that's brilliant i like it me like it a lot yeah (laughs) a lot of the a lot of my interests even before i started choreographing so as a dancer with quite a lot of experience maybe after 18 years or something of experience of performing i started to get frustrated in England at least that the conversation around the dancer as artist and the dancer having agency was so behind and slow somehow so I really felt like at the time I was trying to advocate for dancers as artists in their own right and of course that was happening in places but somehow there was still this traditional sense in the UK of like There is the choreographer, there is the dancers, the choreographer makes the piece, the dancers are the tool of the choreographer. I remember this language being used. And I was getting so frustrated because as a dancer at that point, I was like really carefully kind of, we use this word curating too much, I think, but carefully kind of choosing my career and making a kind of artistic journey for myself. So now that I choreograph, I'm really trying to keep that sense of, giving agents or I don't even give agency but giving the space where dancers can take agency and author their own experience whether that's their movement or how they engage in the room with the work or the career trajectory that they want to develop in their own practice and appreciate that so that my experience of choreographing I really try to to make sure it's not about control and I think there's been so much I'm talking about like not just control of the bodies, but the way the company, the dynamic of the room, I suppose. And for so long, I feel like people understood choreography, at least here, as an act of controlling other bodies. Yes. And I just started to find that really problematic. So um, 
yeah, I think agency is one of the most important things because how can you own and bring your body, your culture, your history, your gender to your dancing if you don't have the agency in the space for that to be the invite from the person leading the room? Um, so I think that only by having that freedom to write your language, your movement, to decide when and how you dance within that context, can you really own your physical, sensory, perceptive experience of your body and, yes. and potentially through that pleasure as part of that, you know? Yes, yes sincerely. Because what you say of choreographers working with dancers as almost as objects there was also like a main mainframe here in, in Mexico but also in society in general like like an employee fits uh, a position in establishment in an organization those covers the requirement of tasks and can be easily replaced as if this were as if a person was like the screw of a microwave, <laughs> like you change the screw or the light bulb of a, of a house and it's possible. So it's, it's a dehumanizing view that affects us as, as a society and the world itself by a diversity. And we, mm. If, if this is not examined, we can operate in this frame, in this in this given box, or in in that perception of yourself that you believe should be the perception of your own, like wearing the costume of, of horns, but that one you own it and you did what you wanted, which is different. And yeah. I think that's what we all should do, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like know how are we operating in the space in the context can be like in the space of a stage or in, in the space of of even like like the Walmart and making this ship shift to sensing our ourselves uh, an easy example is to be a people pleaser like i used to to try to please my dance teacher and train myself in that way to try to please the audience but the audience yeah they wanted to be pleased by you not by them evaluating if you know like <laughs> so i so there's like a a, a certain moment of Mm, assuming that if you get out of, of that established expectation of you, you're stepping into the unknown of the present and the reality. I don't know which is scary. Well, no, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the societal frames outdated are the worst, but But being at the edge of the now and bringing yourself forth and expressing who you are, especially expressing the best of you, like, like your bliss and your joy and your expansiveness and openness, that can be terrifying. 
How, how do you deal with that? How, how I, have, <laughs> I have so, I mean, you're saying all the things that I keep thinking and talking about with people at the moment. Like, it's really, there's so much that you just said that I just kind of go, yes, I'm like here fist punching the air going, yes, <laughs> I agree. But um, yeah, lots of things. So I think about, at the moment, I've been thinking about pre- professional training like the the moment in which as a child you are introduced to dance or you find dance or dance finds you or you go along to a class and if that initial contract is if I do this movement I get that reaction and I make my teacher happy make my dad happy so I do it again and I get that reaction so if I do this that happens or if there is a sense of you start to understand movement as an act of not just kind of pleasuring yourself, but in some ways, you know, uh, a freedom of expression, um, of being in the world with your body, not for the viewership. And I think this really, the first, con it kind of just stays somehow with you and you're either in relation to it you're always in relation to it, I suppose. I'm always in relation to that. Whether I'm breaking it or adhering to it, it's in relation. So I think it sets up a weird... Uh, what's complex is the fact that it's a communicative art form. So you are somehow always in relationship to the reading of what you're doing. But I do feel like I have to keep practicing dancing for myself as something which is mine, which is sometimes witnessed sometimes not witnessed, but it doesn't only happen when there are eyes on it yes. <laughs> or only for the eyes. And I think that when I watch work, I am drawn in when someone is not, when someone is, else is having an experience, when that dancer is having an experience of their body, of other bodies, of space, of time, I get drawn in, I zoom in, I lean yes. forwards in my audience seat because I'm like, what is going on for you? And I feel like so much dance in the past has been a different contract, which is almost like the blockbuster movie, like the legs that fly up, the many, many turns, the flying body through the kind of almost gymnastic or circus or even ballet. Um, it's out, it's, it's intention is to impress me. And I mean, I, for one, like I'm immediately like turn away, but even if I am impressed, it's very short. And the next day I kind of go, wow, I didn't know the body could do that. But also like, I don't really care anymore. Like <laughs> it's like a, yeah, like a yeah. cheap, bad meal blockbuster movie. I'm like, I got my fill. I filled my belly, but now I feel sick. <laughs> so what do we do about that? Like, how can we find a way in which that we are drawn into the world of the dancer, because all of that is housed in the body of the performer, not just the body of the work. So how do we encourage a deeper looking, a, 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 to keep looking, to look deeper, further, more layers, more complexity, and to, for me, like really to deal with attention. How do we deal with the attention of the audience through the attention of the performer and their relationship to their body or their practice. So yeah, that's my kind of, yeah. to take this pressure, yeah. what does the body do? What does it produce? What does it look like towards what is it doing? What is it inhabiting or practicing that is engaging, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. The, the pleasure of the dancer is what, genuinely draws you in it's, it's almost as 
as a seductive force because as Martha Graham said, the body never lies. The body don't lie. Like pleasure is pleasure and pain mm. is pain. And somehow, especially women, we tend to feel guilty about pleasure as if we don't deserve what is actually our birthright and an expression of ultimate help. But we feel like yeah. we are indulging into pleasure, like, no, we should be like serving all the world and taking care of everyone and, and not enjoying ourselves. Even, even in the context of performance arts. So I'm, I'm also talking from mm. my experience that I have had uh, an, a, a toenail falling and being more worried about my setting points, shoes, not staining in blood and, and, painting the whole stage with blood, which would have been like an interesting raw performance. But yeah, I was more like ashamed of, yeah. of what was going on and what they would say about me than concerned about myself getting injured. So that, that came from this view that I only exist in function of the eyes of the other, of being seen and approved. So, so I want to, to people please, the teacher, the colleagues, etc. But ironically, that's, the, mm. that's not the way of pleasing. The pleasing is through, through the sincere experience and not only pleasing, like the, the, the satisfaction for the spectator. And taking this to, mm. to the society, People work to please their bosses or to please their husbands, wives, children, whatever. So how can we reframe this, this view of mm. what could be considered selfishness? Like being in your dance, yeah. sensing yourself, enjoying yourself, expressing freely and not feel like you're an egoist, a selfish person, or, or not caring about mm. that, or, or caring, but doing it anyway, like, how can we work with that, like, Angry, um, moral imposition, and get rid of it once and for all? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have a duet that I made in Finland for two dancers, Maria and Vila, they commissioned me 2018, and we've been touring it in the UK and Canada recently. And it's, you know, they're a middle-aged heterosexual couple, essentially, on stage. And uh, it's a kind of, there's a, it has a narrative, some a narrative sense, but it's all through the body and through a kind of improvisational score practice that as the rules change, the reading changes and you start to develop a kind of narrative reading. But at a certain point, she finds her own feet. And there is this dance that we are talking a lot about how she is not uh, in relation to him by that point. She's working for her own self, her own desire, feeling and sensing, perceiving her body with a kind of pleasure. And he's watching. And it's so subtle how if she is experiencing pleasure and acknowledging him, 
when it becomes to be like almost reading, it reads a bit like it's for him, for his gaze, and when it's for her own self. So we're constantly, because it's improvised, having the conversation around when does it become a kind of flirtatious thing, which is still reliant on his gaze, and when can it be as an, uh, just for yourself and he's witnessing? Yes. Um, so, yeah, these readings are so subtle, like, and it's the kind of dramaturgical space I'm not normally in because I guess I'm normally in a more movement-led abstract place somehow. But I really, I really feel this responsibility because there is a man and a woman. Somehow it is like every man and every woman. So it's quite hard to go at once. This is their story. But also she almost has this kind of like feminist responsibility to uh represent something or maybe she doesn't have the responsibility maybe i'm applying this responsibility but <laughs> what like as a gay man like making this duet like what am i saying like i and i really encourage her to find her own ground in this moment because it feels very empowering to watch and it's not something we maybe see represented enough or you know i think how many and it's changing in film, actually, how many actresses have been playing mothers or whores or like, you know, it's like there's not much in between. And now I think we're starting to get more complex female characters, which includes pleasure and includes having your own narrative line, which is not in relation to a man or another. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you're talking about in terms of like female pleasure and the space for that. And it's so potent, it's so powerful and it's so important for us to keep representing and I suppose for me this is what I think about like I know some artists are reflecting back the maybe negative capacity of pop culture so maybe it's like a hypersexualized in not a sex uh, body positive way um, because it's a commentary on the current state of things I think I'm a bit more kind of utopian like what do we need to see we need to see we keep needing to re-see compassion Yes. diplomacy not diplomacy but like a democracy yes. uh care we have to keep presenting it as a new generation the whole time coming through and we also have to i think i ha we don't have to do anything what i'm saying we have to i'm interested in like oh. a place of attention as well where netflix can distract me whatever else sex can distract like like all kinds of things are pulling at your Maybe not sex, but you know, like things pull on your attention and ask it to be quick. But um, maybe performance can be an opportunity to collect and be focused on something together. Yeah. And the thing you're focused on is read in a way which can be subjective. So embracing subjectivity within a collective witnessing. Yes, embracing subjectivity within collective witnessing. Theo. Would you share with sí. us a little experience, exercise thingy to, to be more like able, comfortable with expressing pleasure? Can be scenic yeah. or can be like just be okay with expressing the pleasure that you're feeling in your kitchen alone, washing the dishes, like <laughs> don't take you mm. from, from the best of life. Also, mm. if you're like dancing in your wedding or in the stage or at a board meeting, <laughs> like really into what you're doing, how can we more, we like 
own more the experience and the expression of pleasure. Mm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, I just had a big relationship breakup last year. So like, I'm thinking a lot about how I address not just pleasure, but like how I am in the world, how I am in the world and what I um, kind of engage with philosophically. And I feel like there's been a bit of a shift towards taking away the structures, which are like the things you should be doing, what you ought to be doing, what's expected of you as a, and that might be marriage. It might be like having a home. It might be a job. Um, so trying to really keep checking in with like, what do I want? What do I desire? Uh, when and how do I want to operate in the world? And to keep, I I feel like I was someone who was people pleasing and it was, everything was externalized. Validation came from responses to my work or social media. And I feel like I've been in a practice the last few years of trying to kind of like invert that whole thing to, um, maybe I don't need to worry about that thing or maybe that's just going to resolve itself. And it's not to kind of be like irresponsible, but somehow more responsible for my own sense of time, pleasure, use, my own body, like a checking in as a responsible thing somehow. Yes, um, yes. yes. And, and that only I can do that and only I can be authentic if I'm working from that place. Yes. And this is after years of kind of being able to keep everything smooth, say what I think people want to hear of me. And you get to my age, like I'm turning 45 next week. And if that's the way you've lived, you get really confused or it all collapses or you reach uh, a kind of depression <laughs> or the cracks start to show because the principle with which you've been living, it's a bit like a ballet student. It's like, if I do this, I can in, I can maybe engender that response and then I feel good because the response or the, the viewership on my life, if you like, is pleased. So how do you, like in a dance, find a kind of improvisation practice for yourself? In life, I'm also trying to work that out somehow, like an authenticity around that. Yes. And sometimes that means you lose friends. You lose friends because you're not performing the way they expected or you lose work because you're uh, more honest with yourself somehow. Yes. So it's like recognizing that structures shift if you are honest and authentic somehow. So I feel like when you talk about pleasure in the body, it makes me think about not being, not holding an anxiety which I don't need to hold anymore, which is about an external pressure. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I guess I feel like it creates this much more kind of clarity of communication because if someone else is like, mm, I can't do that for you right now because I'm needing this, it's like, fine. <laughs> you know, like, great. I'm really glad that you know what you need and I know what I need. And and somehow not performing a polite, maybe it's very English, realizing other people's expectations the whole time to the point where it's like nobody's really doing what they want, you know? 
because they stopped asking because the answer might be dangerous the answer might be unruly or wild so it's like there's so many parallels with dancing isn't there like life and dance yeah like like how how to dance through life because this is the chance that we have (laughs) to do so to live i love i love really the reframe it's so useful like the reframe on pleasure as an as an honest expression of where you're standing in regards to yourself to the other person to the world and assuming that responsibility for yourself and for the other because it gives like the the experience of pleasure it gives you like first hand information to you about how you're doing and it it will give information to the other person to to make their decisions whether they are convenient for you or they are inconvenient and that's that's honesty that's the risk taking on respecting yourself and respecting the other and their decisions instead of biasing Mm. and manipulating the response of the environment through apparent pleasing which is not really pleasing to the other because it's a way of bypassing his ability to to see reality and decide for themselves and doing the same for you so yeah pleasure is a matter of honesty yeah that's so nice i don't know why it's making me think about this but um this book sapiens um it's quite a famous book in the UK, well, internationally, it's been a bestseller. But when through that book, I was learning about when we were hunter-gatherer kind of nomads and in tribes or groups, communities of about 20, traveling through different lands. So the diet changing, berries, fish, deer, <laughs> um, fauna, flora, you know. So... And, and kind of collective parenting, so children being raised by a community. Um, and we practiced this for millions of years. And then the agricultural revolution happened, and then we started to own land, own other beings, perhaps, or animals. Yeah. Um, and, and through the act of farming... The diet changes, the child, the child rearing changes, the definition of space, and then also what the amazing sentence was like. It was like the birth of anxiety. So then the anxiety that if the crop fails next year, you need to have enough now to ensure against a changing weather. So that something shifted around this point, and then of course in England, kind of. The Victorian era, um, along with certain Christian values, not all Christian values, but certain pressures around a, um, I don't know if like it's a shaming of pleasure, but, you know, reframing of pleasure as a, a sinful act. And I suppose not everywhere, but here we're somehow still in this kind of like, uh, it can't be organized, you know, pleasure can't be kind of like, safe and complete and yeah, final you, can, it's you like, cannot um, put it in, into a box you cannot put pleasure yeah. into a box it, it pertains to the yeah. mystery so it's, 
yeah so there's flux and there's change and it might be different from one day to the next so if we think about that in our life structures or choreographies like um other things have to shift you know like systems have to shift maybe theaters have to rethink duration of performance or i don't know like uh i suppose the the people pleasing the adapting the being a good worker you know also fits a kind of capitalist system which requires us to be resilient and to be able to take rest in order to come back and do even better and achieve more and expand and all these cages that we created um it's just an ongoing life uh inquiry to try to um dispel them or break them um i'm overcome. kind of just rambling yeah of overcome <laughs> them and nature is unavoidable as reality like you, as much yeah. as you can be in a tight cage you're gonna feel pleasure somewhere because otherwise otherwise we'll die like existence yeah. itself is pleasurable and it's an expression of health and also it's a deliberate act of honesty as you brilliantly pointed <laughs> out the uh, I am so happy to have you here on the Sensual Sessions. Tell us, how can Thank we you. know more about your dances, your workshops, yeah. trainings? Well, I have, a web, I have a website, which maybe you can link with yeah. the um, podcast. I'll I have Instagram, I have a Facebook group. And yeah, I'm making performances. I'm designing shows and I'm teaching and doing various things like this, talks and podcasts as well. Um, so yeah, lots is online and I'm, I'm fairly good at like keeping things on the social media thing. I kind of enjoy the sharing of it. Um, sometimes it's confusing for the <laughs> same reasons we just spoke about, but sometimes it feels like a, a genuine opening and a sharing and, you know, including people somehow. Um, so yeah, you can find me on the Tinternet. So yeah, go find theoclinkard.com. Instagram, everywhere. Thank you, Theo. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you too. Take yeah. care. And thank you, Sensualist, for being here at the Sensual Sessions podcast. If you haven't already, come and subscribe to them at centraldepoder.com. And remember to take the time to sense your fire so you can share the flame.